Pastor Xavier Reese and hearts filled with joy at the fulfillment of God's promise. Now John, while in the womb of Elizabeth, knew Mary was carrying the Messiah in her womb and reacted. He leaped for joy. The first one to worship Jesus was John. What a time God had broken through. He's about to begin the work of salvation for all of mankind. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's interesting to note that among the many things the angel said to Mary at the Annunciation was that nothing is impossible with God. It's during this exchange that Mary learns not only her cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, is now pregnant, but she herself has been chosen to bear the Son of God. And in all that, she simply believed that what God said He would do, He could do. Elizabeth herself would later comment during the visitation from Mary, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord said to her will be accomplished. And continuing his study series of the Gospel of Luke, Pastor Xavier relays much more about the interaction between Mary and Elizabeth in a message titled, The Handiwork of God, John. Let's listen. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 39 to 66. The angel Gabriel has made the announcement to both Zacharias and Mary about the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. John would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Jesus would be the Messiah, God incarnate, the Savior of the world. What an incredible time to be living in. But equally, what great, incredible time you and I are living in when the Lord's about to return. Luke alone provides for us such rich details about the time prior to the birth of Jesus, and he did so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, giving us a reliable, trustworthy record of the Scriptures. And so what we want to do is look at three events that are recorded for us in the last three months of Elizabeth's pregnancy that culminate in the birth of John the Baptist. And it consists of three scenes here in Luke chapter 1 verse 39 down to 66. And Luke is the only one that gives us all this stuff. That's why the gospel of Luke is so valuable. First, we have the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth in verse 39 to 45. Second, we have the exaltation of God by Mary in verse 46 to 56. And then you have the dedication of John by his parents in 57 to 66. The visitation to Mary to Elizabeth is first. Notice Mary departed to go see her cousin Elizabeth, the relatives as we've seen. Three things are given to us. The time, the place, the manner of departure. Verse 39. The time Mary's departure is said to be in those days. In direct response to being told by Gabriel that her cousin Elizabeth had conceived in her old age. The previous verse. Gabriel has told Zacharias. Gabriel has told Mary. And now he told Mary about Elizabeth. And the relatives. God is doing a work with both of them. Old age to have a child. I mean, it's like you being 80 and you get pregnant. <laughs> she was probably around that age. Notice indicating she arose after the angel had departed and had announced her own conception. 
So now, God is at work. Now, do we think that God is any different today, that He can deal your heart and somebody else's heart in time together? He's the same. See, so often we're more interested uh, about, about talking about people than praying for people. As we go to the Lord, Lord, direct my life, direct my steps, let me hear you. Lord, you do the work that you want. We start doing our lives in our own little ways by our own energies and abilities, and it ends up being gossip rather than really the direction from God. So we have to be careful. Now the place is simply identified as into the hill country, notice, and to a city of Judah. The city is not named only that it pertained to the tribe of Judah. Uh, some conjecture is that it's the hill country of Hebron, which was uh, in times past called Kirhath-Tharba. Uh, and uh, this um, city was a town that was given to the Levites, if you remember, in the Old Testament, as a priestly city, which was situated there in the tribe of Judah. It's about 40 miles from south of Jerusalem and about a little more than 70 miles from Nazareth. So it's probably a three-day journey at least. So it's quite a distance. Now, the Messiah, Jesus, would come from the tribe of Judah, as you know. He was not of the tribe of Levi. And Judah means he shall be praised. How indicative. Now, notice the manner in which she arose and went with haste. The participle here is having risen. Luke uses it 60 times. It's found only 22 other times in the rest of the New Testament. It's a very favorite key phrase of Luke. And the phrase with haste refers to the earnest desire of mind and diligence to visit her relative Elizabeth. You can imagine two women that have been visited by the angel Gabriel. God has been signed for 400 years. He's moved on the scene. Things are happening. Who am I going to be able to share? The, who's going to believe me? <laughs> you ever been there? Now, it's to verify anxiously what the angel Gabriel had told Elizabeth about John her old age, and what maybe perhaps the angel Gabriel had told her about Mary. I mean, you can just imagine uh, all the discussion that went on. Now, in verse 4, the young woman Mary arrived and entered the house of Zacharias and, and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin here. And uh, Zachariah, as you know, we've seen as her husband. He's a priest. And uh, in chapter 1, verse 5 to 25, Gabriel appeared to him, told him about the, the birth of his son and her old age. And the child that would be born would be John the Baptist. He would prepare the way to the Messiah. He's the forerunner. Now, Zachariah, remember, could not speak at this point. Because he did not believe in chapter 1, verse 20, Gabriel said, you're not going to be able to speak until the birth of the child. Nine months. He had nine months to just talk to God alone in his mind and heart. I guarantee you that Zacharias learned more in that nine months because he couldn't speak about God and life and many other things. The ratio is right on our mug. Two ears, one mouth. It speaks for itself. We're so busy to speak that we don't listen. And when we're listening, we already know what we want to respond, so we don't care what we listen. <laughs> Elizabeth was well advanced in years, as well as Zacharias, as chapter 1 verse has told us. And again, Elizabeth is six months into her pregnancy at this point, verse 36 tells us. Now, notice in verse 41, the greeting of Mary's voice caused the babe to leap. In Elizabeth's womb. As a consequence, 
she is also filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesies. This is unheard of. The prophecy of John being filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb was stated by Gabriel in chapter 1 verse 15. Here we have the evidence of that, the confirmation. The Spirit bearing witness with their spirits, the work of God, in both of them. This being the first person to worship the Messiah. Who is it? John the Baptist. Where is he? In Elizabeth's womb. Where's the Messiah? In Mary's womb. The first one to worship Jesus was John. Wow. So much that the doctors today say that a baby in the womb is not really a baby. Really? John the Baptist is worshiping. He's six months old. Jesus is, at this point when he greets her, he's just a week or so old. And he's the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Now look at 42 and 45 here. The young woman, Mary, was honored by her cousin Elizabeth. In 42, Elizabeth prophesied, confirming the high privilege of Mary, spoken by the angel Gabriel. First, she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Not above women, but among many women. Jewish women were expecting the Messiah to be born through a Jewish woman. Nobody knew what. Who? They knew the prophecy in Genesis 3.15. Isaiah 7.14. The second, she said, notice, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. The son of the high is the son of God. She's speaking under inspiration. Filled with the Spirit of God. And then in 43, notice Elizabeth then prophetically confessed her unworthiness before Mary. Revealing her great humility. She's older. Mary's 14 to 16. She could be 80, even 90. I don't know. Somewhere in there. Old as dirt. She confessed her privilege. Listen to the words. But why is this granted to me? She confessed her personal sinfulness that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Not mother of God. As taught by the Catholic monks of the 5th century on. That's not a title from scripture. She gave birth to Messiah, but she is not given the title of mother of God. At all. They do that to make her an intercessor and to deify her. Which is contrary to scripture altogether. She's blessed among women like any other woman. We we see that she declared her own sinfulness. Her need of a savior. Now, notice Elizabeth under the filling of the Holy Spirit in verse 44. Testified that John had responded in her womb with joy. At hearing her voice when she greeted Elizabeth. This is incredible stuff. This is a word of knowledge by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit as she spoke under inspiration. There's no way that Elizabeth can know what the baby is doing or saying unless God tells her. Are we clear on this? All right? This is not conjecture or subjective opinion, but absolute factual truth of what took place with John in the womb of Elizabeth. Now, John, while in the womb of Elizabeth, knew Mary was carrying the Messiah in her womb and reacted. He leaped for joy, means to jump up. (laughs) This joy is repeated, verse 14, here in other areas. What a time God had broken through. He's about 
to begin the work of salvation for all of mankind. Elizabeth, in verse 45, still speaking. Now in the third person, means she's speaking to God in this verse. Under the filling of the Holy Spirit, commends Mary for her faith to believe and submit to the will of God that it be fulfilled in her. She celebrated Mary for believing God. Listen to the words. Blessed is she who believed. Linsky, the Greek scholar, says the translation of blessed, Markarios, usually is translated to be happy. But in this context, he says it's too weak. He declares it's exclamatory. It should read all the blessedness of her. The aorist feminine participle, he says, indicates Mary's one act of faith. She believed when the angel spoke to her. The minute the divine words were given to her, she believed. That's what the aorist indicates. So she's exalted. She's commending her for her faith. Not that she is a co-redemptress. Not that she is above women or separate, different from sinners. No. The rest of 45, she affirmed the prophetic fulfillment of the birth of Messiah. It would come to pass. The phrase will be is future. So she's talked about the past and commends her for that, but now it's future. So Elizabeth now is referring to the future things Mary will see fulfilled about her son Jesus, the Messiah. All the other things once he comes forth and born. Now the first witness was the angel Gabriel. The second is Mary. The third is Elizabeth. The law required two to three witnesses in order to verify anything that was truthful. God's not the other confusion. He honors his word above his name. This is kind of like, remember when Jonathan uh, came to David in the wilderness? Because uh, his father Saul was after David. He was going to kill him. He was envious and everything. And what an encouragement. Jonathan was selfless. And he just humbled himself before David. And he came out to encourage him. And it's in uh, 1 Samuel 23, 16 through 18. Listen to what it says. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows this. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord Yahweh. And David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. What a parallel for this illustration. Here's these two women, bound together, a parallel of announcements. One the forerunner, the other the Messiah, by revelation directly from God. What an encouragement they were to each other as much as Jonathan and David. How do you respond when God reveals something to you? Do you act in haste? Quickly? Diligently? Or do you procrastinate? Remember Nehemiah in chapter 1 verse 11. He prayed that God would use him as the king's cupbearer. He tasted the food for the king in case somebody tried to poison him. And Nehemiah prayed to God, Lord, if you want me to go back to Jerusalem, I've never been there. I've been born in captivity. You're going to have to work it. And God worked it out. He didn't procrastinate. He began to seek God for the information that he got from him. Hananiah, his brother, who came back and told him of the dilapidated and burned down condition of Israel. 
He moved on it. Seven times Jesus said to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, He was near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You and I need to tune our ear more to God than ever before in the days that we're living. With all that's going on in the world and our nation, we need to tune our ear to God's Word. Do you recognize the place of honor that God has given to others? If so, what is your attitude? Do you rejoice for them or are you envious and critical of them? Paul puts it this way in Romans 12, 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. I mean, I don't even know why God will use any of us to tell you the truth. He's just so good. And yet he does. He enables us. He gives us the faith, the, the abilities. Jesus said, take the lower seat. When you enter a room, don't, don't go to the front and sit down and say, okay, I'm here. <laughs> Luke 14, 10, he says, but when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest places so that when he who invites you comes that he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Humility. Recognizing the word servants. So important. Do you bear witness with the... Um, the work of God's spirit in the life of others? Or are you all just sitting on the sides? And if you do recognize God's work, then you need to come alongside and rejoice with others and serve as both you serve the Lord according to his will, his direction, and you rejoice what God is doing in you and through you. Listen to Paul in Philippians 2.3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. That context is Jesus Christ who is God, emptying himself of his glory, not his deity, taking on the form of a servant, and coming to wash feet and die for you and me. That's the only mind that's allowed in the church. That's the only mind that's allowed in the believer's life. No other. The visitation of Mary to Elizabeth was a celebration then. It was a celebration. Notice secondly, verse 46 to 56. The exaltation of God by Mary. In 46 to 50, the young woman Mary gave all the glory to God for what he had done in her. Now, this song of Mary divides into two. Here, 46 to 50. And then the other one, the remainder is the other half. Now, Mary's song that she sang here is known as the Magnificat. In verse 46, the title comes from the first lines, My soul magnifies the Lord, speaking about Yahweh. There's no New Testament at this point. There's only the Old Testament. 400 years of science has just terminated. The word soul refers to her emotions, her intellect, and her will. Okay? Now, some Christians say that we are twofold. They make spirit and soul one, and they make body the other one. A dichotomy, two. I see it as a trichotomy. I see three taught in Scripture. Body, soul, and spirit. If you don't make a distinction between the soul and spirit, then how do you distinguish between the Christian and the non-Christian? The non-Christian has intellect, emotion, and will, the soul also, but their spirit's dead. Once you're born again, your spirit's alive. 
Though the spirit and soul are both immaterial, we can't see it. They're distinct, not one. Okay? And Paul says, the Lord sanctify your body, soul, and spirit. Okay? Trichotomy, not dichotomy. Now, the word magnify is emphatic here. To esteem highly, extol, glorify, and praise. Psalm 34, 3. Psalm 69, 30. The characteristic of this song is Hebrew poetry, allusions, and quotes of the Old Testament. Some have compared it to Hannah's song of thanksgiving for the birth of Samuel in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. And it's a great parallel, but there's quite distinction. One is a prophet, the other one is Messiah. Okay, that's going to be born. Now, some have said that Mary was not filled with the Holy Spirit when she's speaking these words like Elizabeth and Zacharias. And you can find 41 and 67 where Elizabeth and Zacharias are said to be filled with the Spirit of God. Are you serious? That is ridiculous. The body of Mary became the very tabernacle of God. Her womb became the Holy of Holies. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. You're going to tell me she wasn't filled with the Spirit of God? You know, sometimes we're just too smart for ourselves. As Howard Hendricks used to say, you know, they're, they're educated beyond their intelligence. Look at 47. Mary then in her spirit rejoiced in God her Savior. Her joy was over her high privilege in the fulfillment of the arrival of Messiah who brings salvation to all. This is the celebration. The word rejoice in the heiress means did rejoice. The moment that she heard the words of Gabriel. The very instant. Mary confessed to her own need of a Savior. My Savior. Mark it well. Mary confessed her own sinfulness and sin nature as all others in this declaration and proclamation. Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Mary was not sinless. Mary's body did not ascend into heaven without corruption. She was a sinner like any other. And by the way... Mary had other children. Matthew 13, 55 through 56, Mark 6, 3 tells us, and it gives them their names. And don't let anybody tell you that that word brother means cousin. It does not. Okay? Now, look at 48. Mary moves on to acknowledge God's kindness in choosing her by the fact that she saw her own unworthiness, lowliness to be chosen by God, calling herself a maidservant. Literally a slave maid, 14, 15 years old. Whoa. The word regarded is an heiress, the historic fact. Notice also, she said that all future generations would call her blessed. The word there, behold, at the end of 48, is an imperative command pointing to the astonishment of the fact of her privilege and humble state. Not both, but behold, how good God is. Blessed in that she was chosen by God, not in that she is the source or dispenser of blessings, but she was blessed of God. But she's not the source and dispenser of blessing. That would make her a mediator. That would make her co-redemptress. The Bible does not teach that at all. These are the words of Mary under the inspiration of the Spirit. 
Pastor Xavier Rees, drawing simple truths from Mary's faithful response to the birth of the Savior by way of the Magnificat, the Song of Mary from Luke chapter 1. Now you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Or you can request your own copy of today's message as well. It's titled, The Handiwork of God, John and is available on CD for only $4. Now, the title to ask for once again is The Handiwork of God, John. Make your request by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And join us right here next time for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com